thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, we're continuing in this series on the book of James. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. This is, we're gonna have a, it's going to be a blast today. And we name this, with the overarching theme of this, we call it a line, a line in the sand. And James, he, it, it's interesting how James, he like comes out of the gate, it feels like a wild man. It's like he's in a 12-round fight and he's got one round to take care of the, to take care of the opponent. He's got one round to, to take care of business. And he comes out of the corner, right out of James chapter 1, and he's, and he's swinging these haymakers. He's trying to knock us out. Out of a hundred verses in the book of James, 50 of them are commands. 50 of them are instructions. It's concentrated. It's like he took his words and he boiled them down on the stove until he got just the right consistency. And then he penned and wrote this letter and he sent it to churches that were scattered abroad. They were suffering persecution, but also there were issues going on in the church. Anyone ever been in a church that had issues? All right, good. Well, there were issues going on in the church, and so he was writing them and addressing them. And so what we want to do, we've been walking line by line through this book through the summer. It's been amazing, what's called expository teaching, line by line, piece by piece, exploring what is James trying to say to that church, and what is he saying to us today. And so we're beginning this journey on James chapter, or actually we're concluding in James chapter 4, we're, we're ending the series next week out of James chapter 5, but we're, we're bringing in James 4 today, and then we're going to be in James 5 next week. But I titled this message today, What is Your Life? It's the question, what is your life? There's so many questions about life, and, and all of them are, are real, all of them are significant. The biggest one, what's the meaning of life? Why am I alive Maybe for some of you, is, the question is, what do you want out of life? So the mo this morning, I want to look at this question, what is your life? What is it? Some people would, would answer this question with, my life is full of despair today, Jason. Well, I'm glad you're here because God wants to meet you and change you and transform you. He brought you here for a reason. But you might be thinking this morning, you know, I, I'm just barely surviving my life is full of hopelessness. My life is full of emptiness. And matter of fact, I just came today because I needed something. That might be you today. But I want you to know this. Jesus said this, that I have come so that you could have life and have life to the fullest. So before you leave this place today, I promise you, Jesus is going to give you life. Other people, you might be here today and you describe your life as, and this I would say, this probably includes a lot of us, life is crazy, it's hectic. You, you, your, the schedule of your day is packed day after day. You're burning the candle at both ends. Your nerves are frayed. You suck down as much coffee as you possibly can to get going in the morning. And then you got to take a sleeping pill at night to shut your mind off. You're like a, a rubber band that's like stretched and you're busy and busy and busy. And you just think that one day it's just going to pop. So then you start fixing your mind because life's so crazy. You know, if, if I could just make it to the evening, if I could just make it to vacation. Let, let me tell you something. The, the life is not life if you're living every day for a vacation once a year. 
Maybe, maybe some of you husbands and wives, you think, you know, if we could just, just get a date night, maybe that would save us. All the husbands and wives say amen to that one. Maybe you're living for Saturday. If I, if I can just get through this week and just reach Saturday. But everything is always in the urgent. Everything is always pressuring you. You look for these, the lights at the end of the tunnel somewhere along the way, and you're, and you're looking for it. Other folks are living in a, in a continual cycle of monotony. The same thing day after day. You wake up, you wolf down breakfast, you rush off to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you watch some TV, you go to bed. Then you wake up and you wolf down breakfast and you rush off to work and you come home, you eat dinner, you watch some TV and you go to bed. And then you wake up and you wolf down breakfast and you get it? You, you, you feel like Groundhog Day. Every day, the alarm goes off and you think, it's the same day. Listen, Jesus has a life for you that's meaningful and significant and worth living. And it's full of life. And he wants to give that to you today. So my hope this morning is that you would answer this question, what is my life? Let's begin reading James chapter 4, starting verse 13 says this, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and we'll make money. And he says this, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? In other words, why do you do that? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? That's the question that we're answering today. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do. Now listen, this is the verse that everyone wishes wasn't in the Bible. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's what? It's a sin for them. Aren't you encouraged by that? I want to talk to you about three things to consider about your life that James talks about in these few verses. And the first one is this, the question of what is my life? The first one I, I want you to consider today, and James does as well, is consider the length of your life. The length of your life. James, James asked this in 4.14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while, and then it vanishes. Was he trying to discourage the church? Is that what he was trying to do? The Bible says, actually, we don't even know if we will be alive tomorrow. That's what, that's what the Bible says. We don't even know if we are going to live tomorrow. So what is the length of your life? Psalms 90, 10 and 12 says this. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if your strength endures. And then David prays and he says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
So think from 70 to 80 years. Think for a moment today about the length of your life. I'll ask you a question. How old are you today? Just think about it for a moment. You're like, don't ask me how old I am. A lot of people actually don't like to answer that question. In, in my experience, women especially don't like answering that question. But uh, I heard of a church gathering where they were, uh, they, they were trying to separate some people in specific places for, for different classes according to ages. And some of the women just would not tell them their age at all. So they were like, what are we going to do? They said, okay, how about, how about this idea? We'll organize the classes by weight. <laughs> and the women, the women quickly said, I'll tell you how old I am. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. I'll tell you how old I am today. It'll surprise you. I'm 14,217 today. I know that sounds really weird. But I'll tell you what I mean. Because though we number our years, we do, the Bible tells us we should number what? Our days. So I'm 14,217 days old today. Go ahead. Get your calculator out. Figure it out. I know you want to. Go ahead. (laughs) The Bible teaches us that every single day of your life is important. It's precious. And life is just too precious just to click year by year. Just, well, I'll just wait till next year. I'll just celebrate that next year. We are to seize every single day of our lives. Every day of your life matters to God, and it should matter to us. There is a destiny that God has for you today. There are things that you're going to choose today. Today matters. Moms, you have a chance to instill into your children values today. You don't know that tomorrow is promised. Fathers, you have the opportunity to instill into your children today what it means to be a man after God's own heart. You have an opportunity today. Today, tomorrow is not promised. Today is the opportunity. Tomorrow, we don't know if we'll have it. And so James is wanting to put this emphasis on a day. Your life is gone. Could be tomorrow. Every day of your life matters to God. Every decision you make matters to God. When you wake up in the morning, this is a day to accomplish something great for God. This is a day for you to live out your purpose and your destiny. This is a day for you to be what God created you to be. Today is. It matters to God what we do today. For some reason, I don't know if it's a Western mindset or a Western thinking, we we, we, we think in chunks. we're We're not thinking that today may be my last day. And not that you live in this, this fatalistic mentality where you're always th- like worried about today could be my last day. But in, in one way, that could be a real positive thing. If you knew today was your last day on this earth, how would you live your life differently? What would you do? What would you say to the people around you? What would you do? How would you live it? Psalm says that we, that we can live 70 to 80-ish years. And I believe he's talking about an estimate. But what's interesting about that verse is that the, the last couple, 
that up to the last couple generations, that statement actually wasn't true. Just 120 years ago, in the 19th century, the average lifespan was 33 years. One out of four died before the age of seven. Another half before the age of 17. And one out of 100 people lived to the age of 65. One out of 100. It's pretty easy to see that uh, things are getting better though, right? I believe that has a lot to do with the gospel being preached. But today, for a male, male life expectancy is 76. And for you women, it is 81. Come on, women. Come on, give yourselves a hand. You're 80. Come on, yeah. Apparently, you make wiser decisions than men. So we just. So think about your life in comparison, though, to the timeline of eternity. I want you to think about this just for a moment. So you, we're talking about forever. So forever. So if, if we just put a timeline here on stage, you went from that wall to that wall, and it was a timeline of a thousand years, where would your 70, what, what type of mark or size of mark would the 70, 80 years make on that thousand years? Increase it 2,000. Increase the timeline to 3,000. Where is your 70 to 80 years going to, what's it going to look like? It's going to be itty bitty little dots. Now that's not for you to think, well, I guess my life doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your life today really matters. It really matters. Time keeps expanding. Time keeps growing. We can never regain a second that's passed. We can't get this second back. Nor that second, nor that one, nor that one, nor that one. I won't continue. That would be really long. You'll never get it back. It's added to the timeline of eternity. It's added to the timeline of your past. The only second that we can actually live is this one right now. And this one. And this one. And this one. Life's moving fast, man. I mean, it's cooking. And there are definitely, there are seasons that fill faster than others and slower than others. Maybe for some of you that have raised teenagers, you felt like that was the longest four years of your life. Or eight years or whatever it may be. When you think about your 70 or 80 years, James says this. It's like a vapor. It appears and then it's gone. It's kind of like on a Colorado cold morning, you walk outside, you breathe, then it's gone. You don't and watch it float and mark it and come back and visit it that afternoon. It's gone. James says, this is, this is the length of your life compared to eternity. What is his point? And you're probably thinking, Jason, what's your stinking point? (laughs) What the Bible is saying is this, that life is short. And it's too precious to waste. It's too precious to waste. It's too precious to, to, to live your life for something that doesn't matter. It's too precious to allow relationships in your life to, to go on and on and on in friction and in pain. With unforgiveness. It's too precious. Because you, you, your life is so 
short in comparison to eternity. Think about the timeline of eternity. What, do, what are you going to do with your 70 to 80 years with Jesus will determine how you spend the rest of eternity. What you do with your time, with your days on this side of the grave are going to determine what's going on into eternity. It's going to mark it forever. And so many waste their lives. There are areas in my, I waste my life. So many things that in the light of eternity won't mean anything. So whatever we are doing, we need to determine this right here. I want you to hear this for a moment. We need to determine who we are doing it for. If, if, you're, if you are living, walking out your vocation for you, then you will receive your reward on this side of heaven. But if you're living your life and doing your vocation for the glory of God and so that he's glorified through your life and how you work and how you interact with people, then you are sowing into eternity. I would much ra rather scatter seed into eternity than scatter it here when this world's going to pass away. And how do you do that? You do that by living your life for Jesus Christ. You do that by living your life to honor God in everything you say, everything you do, every, doing your best, everything you think, how you respond to one another, what you do within the church, how you serve the poor and the needy, how you serve those who are less fortunate to you. Do you are you able to come and pack meals together? Are you able to help out with the prison ministry? Are you able to serve and, and, and lead a, a child to Christ in Sunday school? Are you able to, to, to clean a church? Are you able to clean a park somewhere in our community? Whatever that may be, however, everything about your life. And those are just very small examples of the all-encompassing of your whole life. Why do you live your life? What is your life? What does it consist of? If we're living each day for the glory of God, then in eternity, each day will matter. If we're living for our glory, then each day doesn't matter. Think about this. There are only two things on this earth. <laughs> there are only two things on this earth that are going to last for eternity. Think about it. Everything you see, everything you, you, you experience, everything you, you bump up against, everything. Two things. Two things. The Word of God. And the souls of mankind. It's the only two things that will survive and will live forever. I came across this little poem that says this. It says, life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the cause. But Christ is the cure. How many are grateful that Christ has come to cure the power of death? That's why when Jesus came, he came to conquer death, hell, and the grave. Christ is the cure. So when, when you are along the 70 or 80 years the Bible speaks of, but I guess the question is this, where are you in the 70 to 80 years? I'm going to give you guys an illustration I found that, was, that really spoke to me. Um, a guy, he was a doctor by the name of Leslie Weatherhead, wrote a book called Time for God. 
And he does something very interesting in this book to help you understand how far along you are in life. And it has to be the motivation of the scripture we're talking about today. But he takes the average time that a person is awake in one day, which is around 16 hours. So you'd wake up around 7 and you go to bed about 11 p.m. So you're awake within that 16 hours. And he compares that to to your lifespan of around 70 years. So you wake up at 7 a.m. and you go to bed at 11, 11 p.m. 16 hours. This is your life. So when, at 7 a.m., you're born, okay? And at 11 p.m., you graduate into eternity. That's, that's what we're talking about. So if you're five years old, it's only 8 a.m. in the morning. It's good. Good day. You got lots of day ahead of you. When you're 15 years old, it's already 10.30 a.m., in the morning. Remember, at 11 p.m., you pass from this life to the next. But at 15, at, at 10.30 a.m., you still have most of the day. When you're 25 years old, it's already 12.42 in the afternoon. When you're 35, or sorry, when you're 30 years old, it's 1.51 in the afternoon. Time's clicking away now. When you're 35 years old, it's already 3 p.m. in the afternoon. When you're 40 years old, it's 4.08 in the afternoon. When you're 45, it's already 5.16 in the afternoon. When you're 50 years old, it's 6.25 in the evening. If you're 60 years old, it's 8.42 in the evening. If you're 65, it is 9.51 p.m. And if you're 70 years old, The time that the Bible says on average that you will live, it is 11 p.m. So the question is, what time is it in your life? I I, I didn't tell you that to discourage you today. I I told you that because I want there to be a sense of urgency in your life for today. Listen for a moment. You can do very little about your past. You can be, you, listen, you are not a prisoner to your past. You might be a product of it, but you're, you're not a prisoner to it. You can do very little about your past. But everyone who can listen to the sound of my voice can do something about your tomorrow. You can do something about your today. And you can live from this moment on for eternity, for something that matters. Because life is short, this is my encouragement to you today. Live your life on fire for Jesus Christ. And everything that you do, every decision that you make. Now remember, we're not promised tomorrow. You might be be at 12 p.m. It might be lunchtime to you, but you're not promised 12.05. So you've got this moment to live your life because you don't know. And here's, here's the reality. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, for one, I believe God brought you here because he loves you. He adores you. He's been seeking you all the days of your life. Things have been reaching out to you, speaking to you. You hear things. You see things. And everything is pointing to God. And you might have showed up today because, because it was like every, all arrows, neon signs were pointing to go to church and you came today. I want you to know God brought you here. But I also want you to hear this. Don't waste another minute without Jesus Christ. Don't do it. He's here today with his arms extended to you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ at the end of the service. 
But let's make a decision, every single one of us, to live our lives for eternity. To live and invest into things that will live on forever. You guys with me on this? Come on, let's give our lives to Jesus. Let's give our lives to something that, that we, can, we can walk in and we can sow into one, the, the other generation. If I don't make it to 70, what I do today, I want to I be sowing seed into God's kingdom so the next generation can reap some of that harvest and can sow that into eternity. And then they sow into eternity and the next generation sows into it. We are not here on this earth for we. We're on this earth for him, for his plan, and for his will. The second thing to consider that I believe James is talking about is this, to consider the Lord of your life. So, yeah, you, can, you need to consider the length of your life because it will help you understand how to live it. But secondly, you consider the Lord of your life. James 4.13 says this. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or to that one, Spend a year there, carry on in business, and make money. So this is what I, I believe James is talking about. I think he's talking about people who, they're a self-made woman, a self-made man, who think this is my life, this is my plans, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the controller of my own destiny. I order my own steps, and they worship their creator, which is actually, in their mind, it's them. They created their life. They opened every door. It was because of who they are, things were laid out before them. And the Bible warns against the danger of setting your own plans outside of the will of God. Verse 15 just simply says this. This is what you pray if it is the Lord's will. So you can pray. You can ask God for, for things. You can, you can make your plans. But the heart of everything that you plan needs to be this. If it is the Lord's will. And I think for us, the desire is, let's let God make our plans. Let's submit our lives to him and say, Lord, it's your will, not ours. Do you know that God has plans for your life? Did you know that? That you were not created just with just, I don't know. You didn't surprise God when you were born. He's like, oh, where did they come from? I, I don't have any plans for them. God created you with plans. His fingerprints all over your life. And within a moment of decision, everything can change for you to say, you know what? You know what, God? I want my life to matter. I want my every day to honor you. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust in your grace. I don't have the power to do it on my own, but you have the power because of your son, Jesus Christ, to help me. God has plans for your life. You're not the controller of your own destiny. God is. And the last time I checked, his plans for you are perfect, and they are good, and they're not to harm you. They'll give you hope and a future. That's God's plans for you. Doesn't that sound good? I want some of those. And I, and I believe God wants us to, to walk in that understanding. Did you know that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God? They're ordered by him. Think about that. They're ordered, as you walk, as you step, he orders your steps. He will not let your foot slip because he who watches over Israel does not sleep nor slumber. That's your promise. He orders your steps as you say, Lord, I want your will, not always mine. I want your will. And if you're willing to say that, if you're willing to do that, my friend, I promise you, no matter how rocky, no matter how uncertain life feels, God is with you and he's ordering your steps. That gives me great confidence. 
We need to, yes, we need to seek God's will. We need to read his word to transform our minds to hear his will. Did you know this? Did you know that a person makes 35,000 decisions every day? See, that's why you're so tired all the time. You're exhausted. 35,000 decisions every day. I want you to hear this. The creator of the universe, the perfecter of your life, the one who measures the span of the universe or the, the universe by the span of his hands, the one who has every hair on your head numbered, the one who created you in your mother's womb, he wants to lead you in every one of those 35,000 decisions. You're not alone. This doesn't mean we're freaked out all the time about our decisions. We're paralyzed. Is this the right one? Is this the one I should make? Should I shouldn't? It's just inviting. This is just talking about inviting God into our daily lives to guide our daily decisions. This is about letting God and his word be the compass for our everyday lives. This doesn't mean you don't make plans. Doesn't mean you don't set goals. Doesn't mean you don't make decisions regarding your future, regarding our church and your business and your life and your family. You need to set goals. It's biblical to set goals. But all that you do, all that you plan, every strategy that you make needs to have this statement at the foundation. If it's not the Lord's will, Or if it is the Lord's will. You, you can do, make all those plans. But just at the end of it, just, just to, to know where your heart is, can you say, Lord, if it's your will, let it happen. If it's not, I don't want it. The pleasure of the Father to, to know, my daughter trusts me, my son trusts me. If Jesus prayed this prayer, Jesus prayed this. I don't know if you know this or not. He prayed, if it's the Lord's will. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was, was aware of what was in front of him? The cup of suffering he was going to have to drink. This was right before he went to the cross. And he was, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was, he, was, his, his, he was warring in his heart and his spirit. And he knew the pain. And he, saw, he, said, he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup of suffering... In other words, the scourging, the whipping, the cross, the mocking, the pain, the, the embodiment of the sin of mankind upon himself. God, if there's any way that that cup could be passed from me, could you find a way? And then you know what his next statement was? But not my will. Yours be done. If Jesus had to pray that? Do you think we'll ever have to pray that? It's never wrong to pray, God, this is my dream. This is what I believe you put in my heart. And God, this is what I want to do. And God, this is, I believe this is how you've made me. And, and, but, but make sure your heart is not my will, but yours be done. Just, just finish your prayer. But God, not my will, but yours be done. That statement scares a lot of people because they think, nope, I'm not going to say that because I know what I want and I know what God wants because it's what I want. So I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to keep praying. I'm going to pray. Someone asked me 
They said, what, Jason, how can we pray for you, you know, you and your family? How can we pray for you uh, in, in decisions? And I said, just pray that God's will would be done. Just pray that God's will would be done. Because his will, it's always good. Wouldn't it be nice to, just, to, just to relax a bit and trust that as you pray that prayer in the midst, middle of not knowing everything because you're not God, to know that we serve a God that does know everything and he cares for you? Do, do you remember when you were a kid and you didn't have to think about breakfast? You walk over to the, to the fridge and you just open that thing up and somehow it just replenishes itself with food every day. It was awesome. Oh, you're, you're in the car. You don't have to worry about do I turn here or turn here? and uh, Is this the fastest route? And, and Do I have enough gas? and Did I pay the insurance? And you, don't have to pay, you don't have to worry about electric bill or who's paying that. Are they going to turn it off? You just live life because everything was provided for you. You trusted God. Actually, you trusted mom and dad. You trusted that those who were, who were caring for you would care for you. And everything was taken care of. We can have that kind of trust and confidence in God today as well. You can. He's a good father. And I know sometimes he doesn't, he doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to be anxious about our future. Matter of fact, Jesus said, when has worrying solved anything in your life ever? When has it added anything to your life ever? Well, nothing actually, yeah. And I want you to know, I think James would say this to you, and I know God would too, would too. We can trust your heaven. You can trust your heavenly Father. Even if things aren't perfect, even if you're in the midst of a storm, you can still trust him. He's still good. No matter where you're at today, he is still good. No matter what you're going through, you might be thinking, Jason, I'm going through hell in my life. You can still trust the Father. He is good. Remember, whatever you're going through in comparison to eternity is a vapor. Let God be the Lord of your life. And here's just another side note. Listen, doing God's will is more important really than knowing God's will. And I'll explain what I mean. So many times we want to know God's will. God, what's your will what, what, what do you want? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? But I think many times God's, God's will is reveal, reveals his plan when we can have the peace even if he doesn't reveal it. I think, I think God, God will reveal his plan when we can have the peace even if he doesn't. I think this is very important for us to understand. There is a, a trust from our hearts that says, God, you will show me when I need to be shown. And we can trust that. There were so many times in my life and Cheryl and I's life and our journey that, that we, like we, we just walked by faith. It doesn't mean we're some super spiritual. No, not at all. It just means, I, God, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is it, but I'm, I'm going to walk it out. And I, I promise you this. We always ended up where we needed to be, when we needed to be there, with enough provision to be there. Always. 
But our whole heart was, God, let your will be done in our lives. We weren't perfect at it. There were many times I wanted to stay in control of things because I was freaked out. But as I trusted him, he led us. So many times in our life and in our families, we, we, we can get so freaked out about things. and so, Worry will not add to tomorrow. But today, we can trust God. Say, Lord, I, I do trust you. And uh, another thing is this. I think many times God doesn't reveal his will until we're willing to do his will. Does that make sense? Sometimes we want to know God's will so we can choose if we want to do his will or not. Listen, the will of God, it, it, is, it isn't like a restaurant menu. I'll take, oh, that, boy, that bruschetta sounds really good. And I'll take this one and I'll take that. And can I get the third course of, of, uh, of a lot of money? And can I get this? And listen, really the way it is is that God has a blank piece of paper and he slides it across the table. It's a contract for your life, and he says, you sign it, and you can sign it, and you slide it back, and you say, God, you just fill in the rest. I trust you. And God's more interested in a relationship with you and cultivating a heart of trust than he is about giving you the answers that you think you need right now. And the last point to consider, I'm telling you, James is a heavy hitter, isn't he? The last point to consider is this, consider the law of your life. Last thing we're going to look at is this wonderful verse it's, that is the, probably the most challenging verses in the Bible. Verse 17. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is what? It's a sin. Notice what he says. For them. There is a personal responsibility that God gives you. If you know what you ought to do, if God has spoken to you to, to do something and you don't do it, it's a sin. Every person has a law, a founding principle that we live our lives by. And James is saying if, if, if you don't do what you know you're supposed to do, it's a sin. Now, that's, that's from the negative side. If you don't do, then it's a sin. I want you to hear how Jesus approaches the very same topic. He says this in John 13, 17. Now that you know these things, what? He just finished teaching about how we're to live our lives and the things we are to do as Christians. If you do these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here's the other side. This isn't about not sinning. Listen, if you focus your whole life on not sinning, you're going to be focusing on sin. Don't, don't focus on sin. Focus on Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who gives you power, the one who gives you grace, the one who saved you, the one who redeemed you, the one who said, in, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. Focus on him. And that if you allow his nature to work itself through you and you allow him to, to gently lead you and father you and guide you, that as we do what he leads us to do, we're going to be walking with the blessing of God on our lives. You have to understand the book of James is written with the gospel in mind. 
The book of James is written with the teachings that Jesus, of Jesus saying, listen, without me, you can do what? Nothing. But with me, all things are possible. All things are possible with Christ. So he understood this. And for us today, we can walk in God's blessing in our lives if we make the decision. Say, you know what? You know what, Jason? You're right. I'm going to make a change today. I think, I think it would please the Father to say, you know what? I'm going to live today for, for the things that matter. I think the enemy distracts us with things that don't matter so much. Man, we get so huffy, puffy in a tizzy over every little thing that could change for us. Listen, let me ask you, are you walking? Is that walking in the peace of God? God wants you you to embody his peace, to embody his presence, to walk in a a relationship. Listen, relationships, they're, they're, they're messy. Anyone, ever, anyone ever have experienced a little mess in your relationships? When you, when you walk with God, you, He's perfect on His side. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to fail. We're going to make mistakes. But He's there. He's loving. He's kind because He wants to bless you. And here's the reality for us. God's blessing for your life, that, that what you desire is on the other side of your obedience. And here's, here's the amazing thing. He's the one that gives you the power to be obedient. Talk about a giving God. Some of you might be thinking, well, my goodness, I was better off not coming to church today. But I promise you, I promise you, that if you'll take these principles from James, if you'll take these principles from, from, the, from the Father and you apply them to your life, let me just ask you, what are some things as you, as, as just in your individual life as you follow Jesus, what are things that you know you should do, but you don't do them? Maybe it's total surrender to God. Meaning, is your heart surrendered to God? Are you desiring to honor Him with your whole life? Are the things that you keep back? God, I'll honor you with this, but man, this, this is my secret sin. This is what I, I allow myself to do. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it, whatever it may be. Listen, you won't be perfect on this earth, but we can surrender to God and walk the journey together. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe there are things you know you should pray about, but you don't. Man, I, I, was, I came across this verse this week. Samuel, in 1 Samuel 12, 23, he said this, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray. Man, that smacked me in the head. Because I realized there are areas in my life that I'm not committing to prayer. Maybe it's sharing your faith. Jesus said this, you will be, you will be my witnesses. And he said, follow me. So in other words, all those who follow Jesus, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Listen, sharing your faith is very simple. It's just sharing your journey that you've had with Jesus, how he's changing your life, how he gives you peace in the midst of a sickness, maybe gives you peace in the midst of a storm. It's very simple. Telling someone God loves them, telling someone that you'll be praying for them, 
Listen, we're not, we're, listen, we haven't arrived. We're just, a, we're just a beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. And we found that bread in the bread of life of Jesus Christ who redeemed us and saved us. That's all. This begins with just being open to share your faith. Make the decision today, Lord, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to look for the opportunity. You don't have to be, you don't have, have to have all the answers. Just be open. Maybe it has to do with your finances. You might be thinking, oh, great, here he goes talking about finances and money. I was with you to start talking about my money. Maybe it's about tithing. Maybe the Lord's prompted you to begin to give something, and you haven't. The reality is, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't preached here on tithing. And uh, I heard a pastor once say, he said, you know what, I've never preached on tithing. But I remind my church every Sunday that I never preach on tithing. <laughs> Here's my encouragement to you. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Because an act of obedience unlocks God's blessing in your life. God's blessing that you're looking for is on the other side. I don't know how God will bless you. But what I do know is that he will if you obey him and obey the word. Jesus speaks about tithing. In Luke 11, he says, he, t- he was telling the Pharisees, he says, you tithe, but you don't show love. And you neglect justice. Then he says, you should tithe, though, and show love and bring justice. Maybe it's trust. Maybe you struggle with trust today. And you, you just, God, I just, I'm not going to give it to you, God. Maybe you've been wounded by church, you've been wounded by leaders and pastors or, or other people in your life that they were supposed to be Christians. And you're like, I, I'm not putting my trust in God. I'm holding control. I want to remind you, Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord. Listen, listen to this, my friends. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him. Acknowledge him. And then he will make your path straight. Trust him. Trust him. I think this is for us to consider today. Consider the length of your life. You have one life to live. You have one life to give. You have this day only to live. Listen, settle on forgiveness issues in your heart. I think someone needs to hear that today. Stop carrying around bitterness. Knock it off. It's ruining your life. Stop being mad at people in your church. Stop getting offended so easily by people at work. You have one life. Solve it today. I think James, if he was standing here today, he would say, consider the Lord of your life. We all live our lives for God's will. Consider the Lord of your life. Lord, why, why do I live my life? Do I live my life for me? Or am I living my life for him. And we all need to consider the law of our lives. 
We are on this earth, my friends, to do good. Jesus calls us salt and light. He doesn't call you lemon and vinegar. He calls you salt and light. It means you are salt. Wherever you go, you're to make it better. You're the light that shines and breaks through the darkness. That's you. You are called to be salt and light. We are the transforming agents on the earth who the church of Jesus Christ were called to transform the planet for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's not me. That's you, the church. That you would be equipped to do the work of the ministry as you go from here and your families and your vocation as you walk the streets as you go to Starbucks that you carry yourself I am salt and light wherever I walk that place gets better because I'm there that's who you are consider the law of your life the law that guides you says you've been called to do good And the law that guides you is that you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ so that you can do good. May God do this in your life and in my life and in our church. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.